You know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor white trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father to you? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the land? You know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the Applebee Hey everybody, you're listening to Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams, the podcast where we talk about the movies we love and the monsters we all face. I'm your host, David Anderson, and today we're talking about self-love in the time of COVID. With a little help from the Silence of the Lambs. me, your very own Clarice, David. So, yeah, let's take a second to state the obvious. This episode is coming to you at a time when you might be feeling like you're the victim of a random series of events. Desperately random, you might say. I, of course, want to acknowledge everything that's going on in the world and say that I hope you are safe and healthy. It goes without saying that we're all undergoing a process of profound, wild, paradigm-shifting transformation. And it's painful and messy and scary, as change always is. I happen to believe that we're all eventually going to emerge from this collective cocoon as a beautiful new something we won't even recognize. Caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa, and thence into beauty we hope. But on this show, we always try to go within. So what if we talk a little bit about the potential for personal transformation? For the most part, I've been quarantining with my parents, and I feel so lucky to be able to do that. I've pretty much determined that it is not great for me to be alone, particularly for long stretches of time, and particularly at a time like this. So for any of you who have been isolated during all this, I really want to let you know I have tremendous empathy and huge respect for how you've been handling this. I don't think I could have done it, really. I hope you're taking really good care of yourself. And if I can be there for you in any way, even if it's just by goofing on horror stuff together with you on this show, please let me know. So I've been trying, trying to make this experience as positive as possible on a personal level. It would be really, really easy for me to devolve into fear and kind of indulge unhealthy lines of thinking and old patterns. And to some extent, Given how unstable the entire world feels, that of course would be natural, and maybe even expected, but I wanted to do my best to prevent that from happening, particularly because there would be the potential for me to get lost there. So I've tried to counter those tendencies with whatever I can find in my toolbox, and for the most part, I've been doing okay. Let's say a solid... B minus. Even in quarantine, though, I've been able to kind of seek out or be sought out by situations that have challenged beliefs I have and the way I perceive myself. Oh boy. It doesn't matter what that means exactly or what specific situations I'm referring to. Maybe we'll get into it on another episode. 
That's rather slippery of me, isn't it? But as per usual, when one of my monsters shows up, it takes the form of someone or something very specific. And in this case, it happened to be our old friend Buffalo Bill who started talking to me. What's the fucking lotion in the basket? All right, calm down. The point is, recently, I've kind of felt backed into a corner for yet another tiresome round of self-reflection. And if we've learned anything from Clary Starling's FBI training, it's that you always check the corner. Ugh, rookie mistake. I say tiresome jokingly. If you're not taking a good hard look at yourself, at least periodically throughout your life, you might be doing it wrong. So I heard Jodie Foster saying, you're in quarantine. But are you strong enough to turn that high power perception at yourself and write down what you see? Maybe you're afraid to. So how about it? Are you up for a little quid pro quo? I tell you things. You tell me things. And don't lie or I'll know. Before we get into it, let's hear a little something from our sponsor, though, Yourself Storage. Look deep within yourself. Storage. At Yourself Storage, we have spaces of all shapes and sizes to fit your storage needs. Everything from a petite 5 by 5 for your favorite curios and collectibles, to a massive airplane hangar-sized dungeon for you to hide your darkest secrets and limiting beliefs. At Yourself Storage, we'll treat your stuff like it's our stuff. Or like it's highly valuable evidence being sought by the FBI. Every unit is dingy, dimly lit, and difficult to access 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So how about it? Look deep within yourself. Storage, located in beautiful downtown Baltimore, Maryland. Contact Hester Muffet at 555-247-1710 for details. Chapter One, His Body, Herself. So, Silence of the Lambs, huh? Winner of five Academy Awards, The Silence of the Lambs. Everyone has seen this movie. And even if they haven't, for a long time, everyone would quote the I ate his liver with some fava beans bit and think they were super clever. <laughs> you foolers. It was released on February 14th, 1991. Oh, babe, Valentine's Day. And I saw it on opening weekend when I was 10 years old because I was obviously the target audience for this movie. As I've said before, my parents were oddly permissive with certain things and not with others. My dad took me to see pretty much whatever I asked him to. And okay, I'm gonna beg you to take me to see The Silence of the Lambs and send me to a performing arts summer camp. But you're gonna act all shocked when I come out to you in high school. Uh-huh. Clearly, I'm not the only one around here who's delusional. So, we could call this an art house horror film. It's obviously highly regarded, even by critics and audiences who typically hate such trash. However, this is one of those movies, like The Exorcist, maybe, that would ne- <laughs> 
ever be made today, at least not without significant changes, right? And hmm, rightfully so. As well received as The Silence of the Lambs was upon its release, it did not escape its fair share of controversy. Not surprisingly, the film was criticized for its depiction of violence against women, and LGBT activist groups such as Queer Nation and Out in Film voiced complaints regarding derogatory and harmful portrayals of queer and trans characters in film that year, including Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs. For a little more context, let's take it to a quote. This is from an article published in Slate on April 28th, 2017. At first, Demi, that's Jonathan Demi, director of Silence of the Lambs, was defiant of the protests. In 1991, he told Film Comet, we knew it was tremendously important to not have gum misinterpreted by the audience as being homosexual. That would be a complete betrayal of the themes of the movie and a disservice to gay people. He described the killer as someone who is so completely, completely horrified by who he is that his desperation to become someone completely other is manifested in his ill-guided attempts at transvestitism and behavior and mannerisms that can be interpreted as gay. To be fair, Demi is correct. In the movie, Hannibal Lecter posits that Gum apes queer and trans people because they're the most far-off identities he can imagine. The ultimate escape. What Demi didn't quite get at the time is that the finer points of the text can get a little lost when you're watching a movie about a guy cutting off women's skin to make himself a real-life costume of female flesh. In 1991, amid a rash of anti-LGBTQ violence, Hollywood continued its parade of gay weaklings, perverts, and killers, and Silence of the Lambs' visceral depiction became an easy flashpoint. So, while Buffalo Bill isn't actually a gay or trans character, I won't argue that there aren't complicated and problematic issues at play here, for sure. And that's important to acknowledge. But I want to see this through the lens of how maybe queer horror fans like myself might relate to this character. So, I want to share another quote with you. This is from Monsters in the Closet, Homosexuality in the Horror Film by Harry M. Benshoff. What does it mean if lesbians identify with the beautiful female vampires of The Hunger, 1983, or if gay men go to see Tom Cruise bite Brad Pitt in Interview with the Vampire, 1994? In what ways does this happen, and what is the price paid in culture at large for yet another depiction of monstrous, predatory homosexuals? Identification with the monster can mean many different things to many different people, and is not necessarily always a negative thing for the individual spectators in question, even as some depictions of queer monsters undoubtedly conflate and reinforce certain sexist or homophobic fears within the public sphere. For spectators of all types, the experience of watching a horror film or monster movie might be understood as similar to that of the carnival as it has been theorized by Bakhtin, wherein the conventions of normality are ritualistically overturned within a prescribed period of time in order to celebrate the lure of the deviant. Halloween hmm, functions similarly, allowing otherwise normal people the pleasures of drag or monstrosity for a brief but exhilarating experience. However, while straight participants in such experiences usually return to their daylight worlds, both the monster and the homosexual are permanent residents of shadowy spaces. At worst, caves, castles, and closets. At best, a marginalized and oppressed position within the cultural hegemony. Queer viewers are thus more likely than straight ones to experience the monster's plight in more personal, individualized terms. I will say as a kid on first viewing, the subtleties of Buffalo Bill's non-homosexuality were certainly lost on me. I saw him as distinctly queer. I saw him as a queer monster, and a queer monster that I identified with. But monster was a dirty word to me. I loved monsters. Still do. 
I can clearly remember being afraid of Hannibal Lecter, the real monster of psychological torment who can cut right to the heart of your insecurity and trauma, but not of Buffalo Bill. I think I sensed in him a kindred spirit of sorts. And while my relationship with the movie is a little more sophisticated now, gay or not, trans or not, I understand that a flirtation with conflating homosexuality and violence can be a bit of a powder keg. I still identify with him as a representation of otherness. At its heart, The Silence of the Lambs is a slasher film, and in horror, slasher is but one of many words for a mythic monster. And I, for one, know what it's like to be perceived as a monster, maybe by society, maybe by my family, and definitely by myself. What I love most about Buffalo Bill is that he's part of the proud bloodline of slashers that was fathered by Norman Bates in Psycho and Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And all of them, to varying degrees, were inspired by real-life serial killer Ed Gein. The one thing they all have in common is, well, self-hatred, I guess, and probably complicated relationships with their mothers. But more importantly, a fractured relationship with their own identities and a disassociation from their own bodies. So much so that they literally put on someone else's skin. Thomas Harris, the author of The Silence of the Lambs, also seems a bit preoccupied with this concept. Francis Dollarhide, the serial killer in Red Dragon, the prequel to Silence of the Lambs, is also intent on transformation and escaping himself. His methodology is different, but in fact his last name, Dollarhide, can be loosely translated as painful skin. That idea of wearing someone else is so unsettling, so grotesque, and writ larger than life on the screen, but I gotta say, in some ways, I see myself up there. And if you're listening to this show, maybe you do too. So, like we said, The Silence of the Lambs is basically a slasher movie. And slasher is definitely my favorite subgenre. The trope of the resourceful final girl slaying the monster in the end is so satisfying and operates on a primal level for me. For the most part, we're living vicariously through and taking that cathartic journey with her. But depending on the day, I for one can feel more monster than hero. And you can get lost in that. But don't do it. It's a trap. Don't become the monster in your own life story because the monster never wins. Chapter 2 Goodbye, Harris's. As far back as I can remember, I felt a distinct sense of discomfort with my body. And you probably have too, with my body. (laughs) Just kidding. While I never questioned the gender I was assigned, I questioned pretty much everything else. I never felt like my body was my friend. It was by turns awkward and doughy, uncoordinated and uncooperative, as far as I felt anyway. It would never do what I wanted it to do or look how I wanted it to look. I would try to tug my ill-fitting clothes around it, hide it, and just generally wish it would go away. During one particularly trying PE class in sixth grade while playing football, weren't they all trying though? This wisp of a prepubescent boy rebounded off my ample frame and he went down hard. I can still see his enviously thin face glaring up at me, his mouth twisting as he shouted, Why are you so fucking fat? I was like, good God, my body itself is an affront to this kid. Obviously, helping to reinforce what I already felt. So I was a fat kid, big deal. 
Of course, hidden within that fat kid, like a Russian nesting doll of insecurity, was a gay kid. Ooh, what else would we find if we went down one more layer? Eh, nothing exciting. It's just a stale piece of candy corn in there. Anyway, here you are with this body you resent, and it's encasing something you might resent even more. Because for me, I felt like literally everyone around me was signaling that everything about me was wrong. Uh, when my family had occasion to be near West Hollywood, they would often intentionally take a detour down Santa Monica Boulevard to gape and laugh at the men walking down the street. They didn't know it. How they didn't know it is mind-boggling. But I was slinking down in the back seat wanting to die because they were pointing and laughing at the freak show that was me. This is all ancient history, and I really don't harbor any resentment. But how can things like that not stick with you, particularly when they're coming from the people who are supposed to love you the most. My coming out was rough. It was not a gentle slide. And when you're an awkward 17-year-old, you're especially ill-equipped for the onslaught. What do you do when your parents float the theory that their union was somehow cursed by actual malevolent forces if it could have resulted in a queer demon seed offspring? Happy Mother's Day. So you could say it wasn't a stretch for me to identify with a Let's say a monster, like Buffalo Bill. Someone who wanted nothing more than to crawl out of his own skin while everyone else on the planet was trying to pinpoint his identity so they could root him out and kill him. Seems about right. So here's the thing. I did my fair share of work to get to a place of being comfortable in the skin of a gay man, not to be all glib about it, but at this point, I got that part. I've also really managed to heal my relationship with my family. All of those painful memories, I know they're mine but they really do feel like they belong to someone else. But there are other aspects of my personality and identity that I'm still kind of battling with. And as far as my body, eh. Our bodies can teach us a lot, I think, or maybe force us to learn a lot. Am I my body? No. Does it generally serve me well, even when I wish it would strut and not lumber <laughs> or fit into a size 30 waist? Yeah. Why have I generally over-identified with it and held such contempt for it? I honestly don't know the answer. Other than to say, it's probably holding up a mirror to reflect the way I feel about myself in general. Oh, really? It's not about the body? Fuck that. Too hard. Let's go back to the body. Okay. Remember that time I was a fat kid? Uh, I just said it. For a lot of us who identify with their weight, that can be a lifelong challenge that continues to circle back. A lot of times, for me, it's an indicator that I'm on the hunt for flaws, and that happens to be the one that I choose to focus on. So, about 15 years ago at this point, I decided that if I didn't like something, I was going to change it. I was lucky in the sense that any weight issues I may have had were related to the yawn-worthy diet and exercise and had nothing to do with any kind of underlying medical condition. So I had to get really focused and decide that I was worth whatever changes I wanted to try to make. I managed to lose whatever arbitrary amount of weight I thought I needed to, and for the first time maybe ever, was actually feeling pretty good in my body, getting comfortable even, like, this isn't so bad, <laughs> what was I all worked up about? Pretty much as soon as I was getting to that kind of sort of good feeling place, my body, this body, can you imagine me running my hands down my sides as I'm saying that, because that's what I'm doing, my body decided to, in my mind, betray me yet again. One thing, seriously, the one thing I had ever been complimented on in terms of my physical appearance was my hair. I had thick strawberry blonde hair like Christy Swanson in Flowers in the Attic uh, before her grandmother cuts it all off. And I would often receive compliments on it. 
I wasn't all like vain about it or anything, but I was like, whew, okay. That's one thing I don't have to worry about, I guess. Uh-huh. So here we go. It was becoming abundantly clear that said Hare was booking a ticket for Costanza Town. I was absolutely convinced that I was going to look like George Costanza. Gay heartthrob and symbol of simmering sexuality, George Costanza. Nothing against Jason Alexander, sorry, but when you're 20-something, you don't necessarily expect to get there so fast. And that is absolutely what I saw in the mirror every day. The accompanying insecurity and self-consciousness was becoming increasingly crippling. It sounds so wild and kind of self-indulgent, but it really, really was. I tried everything I could think of to stop it, and at one point, even thought it was a good idea to order some kind of bootleg pills from India, which I totally did and totally took. I guess I was so desperate that I was willing to potentially poison myself? Question mark? Totes worth it. But nothing worked. Every day in the mirror, I saw more George Costanza until I stopped looking in the mirror at all. I'm not kidding. I would get ready and go to work without looking in the mirror. God knows what was on my face and in fact would avoid any and all reflective surfaces. And then finally, that bright idea that occurs to all balding men, I know, I'll wear a hat. <laughs> Nobody will know. I didn't honestly think I was fooling anybody but myself, but that was good enough for me to add bulk or, I don't know, further distraction, I also thought it was a good idea to start wearing big glasses I didn't need. One day at work, someone said, ooh, it looks like you're wearing a disguise. And I was like, <laughs> that is accurate. I started to wear a hat all the time, indoors, in my house, alone, just in case I were to catch a hideous glimpse of myself in the mirror. And let's not forget that Buffalo Bill himself also had a receding hairline. I might as well have been prancing around in my house to cue Lazarus wearing a decapitated scalp. And wasn't I, though? Goodbye, hair sis. I'm crying over you. I'm kind of embarrassed to say all that out loud, but it absolutely happened. I also started avoiding any place I had to go where I'd have to take it off. This insecurity, this self-loathing, whatever, was twisting me into some kind of basement-dwelling monster in a hat. And it wasn't even a good hat! I was convinced that this shocking development would render me ineligible for, I don't know, things that are good? Love? What? Are you saying I have a tendency to catastrophize? <clears throat> but every reference to hair loss or hair loss remedies in the media seemed like an uppercut delivered directly to my balding head. I distinctly remember a joke on 30 Rock where Jack Donaghy described something as being as impossible as going bald with dignity. <laughs> dignity, that's, that's funny. But that's where I was with it. And you know what's exhausting and totally counterproductive in every way imaginable? Hating and vilifying any aspect of yourself. Even something as seemingly inconsequential as losing your hair, I guess can twist you into a monster if you let it. And I was letting it. Oh, when I go with something, I go hard. And you don't know what pain is! Chapter 3. The Beaver. Now, you might want to sit down for a second because... I really need to talk to you about your beaver. Shh, 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 it's gonna be okay. If it'll make you feel better, I'll talk about my beaver first. How about that? So 
there I was in the throes of whatever the hell I was in. And along comes my friend Dor Dotson. Now, we all need a Dor Dotson in our lives. That person who's known us forever, who will tell it like it is and hold us accountable, right? Dor has a way of cutting right through the bullshit. I've known her for over 25 years and she has never led me astray. She can totally incept me. She's an idea planner. She can just casually say, you know what you should do? And I'm like, you're, you're right. That is what I should do. And she's actually never wrong. So I've learned to just go along with it without asking any questions. Without warning, in the midst of one of our conversations, Dor said, you really need to see the beaver. And with smug satisfaction, I said, no, no, thank you. I've gone my entire life without seeing one. I'm fine. No, no, no. There's this new movie with Mel Gibson called The Beaver. Uh, he has kind of a mental breakdown and he finds this beaver puppet, which becomes the only way he can communicate. He carries around this beaver puppet as a safety blanket or whatever, and that's the only way he can exist. David, that hat is your beaver. You're walking around with a beaver on your head. Don't you think it's time you took the beaver off? The beaver, coincidentally, was directed by Jodie Foster. I hadn't seen the movie. I still haven't seen the movie. But for some reason, in that moment, the way Dor was describing it and me totally made sense. Oh my God, she's right. I'm walking around with a great big beaver on my head. This is ridiculous and I am not this person. That night, for the first and last time, I took a good long look at the beaver and decided, eh, not for me. I took it off and never put it back on. It was like it had never happened. So never discount the power of hearing exactly what you need to hear exactly when you need to hear it. The funny thing is, Dork kind of sort of remembers that conversation, but she really doesn't remember the movie and has no attachment to it whatsoever. She really can't explain why that was the way she chose to frame that conversation, but let's not question it. So I decided to stop hiding. For myself, really, I didn't want to do anything that signaled to myself or the world, hey, I hate this and I'm so ashamed of it that I'm going to cover it up and let it run my life. But that's not to say I was instantly healed and over it. I wasn't. I'm not. It's way better, for sure. But I still don't really love what I see. There are days, moments when I want to avoid mirrors and when I'm convinced that this is really going to hold me back somehow. And obviously it will if I let it. So let me ask you. How much awareness do you have around your self-talk? It's really, really important, especially at times like this. Just as a minor example, I'll say listening back to the earlier part of the show, I was hyper aware of using the word fat, calling myself fat, saying, oh, I was a fat kid, big deal, mainly because I wouldn't say that to or about someone else. I'd hope to meet them with a lot more compassion, but apparently it's okay for me. Here I am telling a story that clearly stuck with me, and present day me is kind of piling it on not cool. So I'm keeping it on the record to hold myself accountable and bring a little more awareness to my self-talk. I'm all for not taking yourself too seriously, believe me, but I also want to make sure I'm not bullying myself. Sometimes it's a lot easier to see the best in others than it is to see it in yourself. We all know that, right? And it's been pointed out to me lately that maybe I'm laying the self-deprecation on a little too thick and where there's smoke, there's fire. So I'm not suggesting I've been sitting around quarantine agonizing about male pattern baldness. <laughs> I really haven't. There's other stuff going on with me that isn't super relevant, maybe, that I'm also not ready to talk about. This is a huge time of transition for all of us, and that can manifest in a lot of different ways. I know we're all dealing with 
a lot. But I shared that story with you because it is something I've dealt with, and it feels like just one of the many, many ways my life has checked me to make sure I'm showing up for myself. So let's get back to the obvious. Of course, it's not really about that. You know, sometimes you guys are way ahead of me, and I just have to talk through things. So thank you for being patient. I feel like sometimes our bodies and our minds can mirror what's going on collectively right now. If our attention isn't where it needs to be, it's going to be called there. And if we're not listening, that call is going to get persistently louder. It's almost as if any flaw or shortcoming, real or imagined, physical or otherwise, is asking us, what are you going to do? Are you strong enough to meet it with love? It's not always easy. Maybe we're being invited to love each other and ourselves inside and out. But what's the alternative, really? I mean, there is one, but it's not great. I know, sometimes it can feel like someone plunged the room into darkness and you're being stalked by something that has a distinct upper hand. But don't panic. I think your instincts are good. You've been preparing for this. But if you've got work to do, so do I. And don't forget to secure that corner. Make it last all night
fuck me? Chapter 4. I'd fuck me. The mirror has two faces. I'd fuck me hard. This is not a profound revelation by any means. I get it. But sometimes we all need a little reminder. Shockingly enough, you're never going to get what you need from anybody else. You're just not. It's not about you. Everybody else has their own stuff. And if you make yourself the monster in your own story, like Buffalo Bill doing anything you can to crawl into someone else's skin, well, you're probably not going to come out on top. So let's take a good long look in the mirror with Buffalo Bill. Listen, as someone who has actually had a hard time dealing with reflective surfaces, I have it on good authority that it isn't always easy. Whether we're talking literally or metaphorically, who wants to look directly at all the stuff we'd rather ignore, numb ourselves to, or cover up? Maybe with a beaver. But we've got to do it. We've got to. Say what you will about Buffalo Bill. He had his shortcomings, that underground torture chamber wasn't great, but his self-affirmation and mirror work games were on point. If you don't know, mirror work is a real thing and a process for working with your self-talk and pinpointing where you might be resisting. It sounds kind of hokey, and yeah, it is, but give it up for Buffalo Bill. He made a whole big thing out of it. Full makeup, nipple ring, bare ass planted in front of that mirror looking himself straight in the eye asking, Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Damn, why mince words? That is a good affirmation. And isn't that what we all really want to know anyway? I'm kidding, but I do kind of love it. It probably wasn't easy at first. It never is. And I'll bet as convincing as that response and triumphant tuck dance were, Buffalo Bill didn't really believe it. But I'm willing to bet if he hadn't gotten shot several times, he would have continued to sit in front of that mirror day in and day out until God Damn it, it was true. Yeah, I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me hard. And come on, if you wouldn't fuck yourself, who else is going to want to? And that, dear listener, is my hope for you. It's my hope for all of us. I want you to get to that authentic place when you're getting ready to meet whatever challenges you're facing. I want you to look yourself straight in the eye and be met with a chorus of That was a delightful little selection from Silence the Musical, music and lyrics by John and Al Kaplan, and we will link to that in our show notes. Now, after that, I think it's time to clear the air and get a little focused insight from the Horacle. So as we do, we're going to pull a card and see what the deck has to say today. And the card we have pulled is Persistence. And pictured on the card is Ripley 7, the Ripley clone, my personal favorite uh, of the Ripley clones from Alien Resurrection. And the text on the card reads, This card serves as a reminder that any worthwhile endeavor requires persistence. Don't give up if your initial efforts fail to yield the desired results. If a first attempt yields a hideously disfigured mutant clone of what you'd intended to create, learn from your mistakes and try again. Salvage whatever you can and recommit to your goals. Okay, so what do you think? Life isn't about a finish line. Life isn't about getting it done. It's an ongoing process of discovery and evolution. And it certainly isn't about perfection. Thank God. If you've been disappointed or outright terrified by something lately, including yourself or a partner or the world, well, this is all a great big experiment anyway, right? Just head back into the lab and try it again. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. And that includes loving every last bit of yourself, even that errant piece of alien DNA that slipped in there. Whoops. 
In this truly unprecedented time, love is an act of revolution. But let's not forget that that also includes loving yourself. If you're showing up in your own life, the process of self-acceptance is going to be ongoing. It's probably not going to be a straight line. You're going to zig, you're going to zag, and sometimes you might lose your way. Please go easy on yourself. Walking in this world can be a beast. Hopefully, you'll have some good traveling companions along the way. But you've got to carry yourself first and foremost. After all, you're the hero in this story. But sometimes, you also have to laugh at yourself. As I like to say on the show, we're going to take our lives seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. And as Hannibal Lecter would say, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. Look, I know things are absolutely bonkers right now, but it's all going to work out. I promise. The lambs are going to stop screaming. In the meantime, don't covet, love it. Because you're the best. Really, the world is more interesting with you in it. And don't forget to ask yourself, would you fuck me? Because I sure would. Oh, and one last thing. Love your suit. Bye. This show is an Unreliable Narrator production. For more information, visit unreliablenarrator.org. Make it last all night.